0: Well, well, the Milwaukee Bucks have done it again. They've won three straight in the series, 123-119. They take care of the Phoenix Suns last night. Another thriller in the end. Lots to take away here with the Milwaukee Bucks in probably one game away from their first NBA championship since 1971. I did not watch this game live, so maybe that'll lead to some different perspectives, uh, Danny, than what you had, but I'll let you kick it off here of what some of your main takeaways were. Obviously, we'll talk about the very end of the game in detail, but just from the overall, what really stuck out to you?
1: Well, I like that, and it's totally true. You described this game as a thriller, but for large portions of it, I did not think this game was going to be a thriller at first because of the dominant first quarter that the Phoenix Suns put out there, thirty-seven twenty-one. And um, I was sp- I spent this game on the on the dunked on total access Discord channel, which was a lot of fun. Nice way to spend it. We're you know making jokes and analysis and everything else, and kind of seems like, oh, it's just, it's going that direction. The Bucks turn the ball over a bunch. And then as David Aldridge summarized it, at one point, the Bucks were down 32 to 16. They then scored 78 points over the ensuing 24 minutes. And it looked like they were taking control, but then the Suns got it close. So I thought the, the ebbs and flows and the extreme ebbs and flows of this game were maybe its most memorable element.
0: Yeah, and I was looking at some tweets every now and then. And so, you know, things like everyone going nuts about the Jeff Teague minutes when Drew Holiday had two fouls in the first. And yeah, that wasn't too good, right? They had him switching on to uh, some of the bigs getting either getting killed by Booker or got bludgeoned by eight in the post, had an atrocious turnover trying to drive against campaign. So that wasn't so great for the Milwaukee Bucks. But then... The other thing that everyone was going crazy about was Devin Booker sat for I think it was six minutes, start of the second. As the Bucks get back into it, they basically erased a double digit lead in the course of about four minutes. And I thought it was going to be like, man, they they just are have nothing going on offensively whatsoever. This great Bucks defense, they're really struggling well Giannis was off the floor during that period also he was but they were still getting pretty good shots uh, amazing I mean it was weird because you look back and the Suns were 13 of 19 from three during the entire game which I mean that's that's got to be an NBA finals record for percentage shooting on that many attempts or, or more and the Bucks were no slouches either with 14 to 28 but Jay Crowder actually missed a couple of wide open ones Paul got to his spot uh, and just missed it as well. And so they weren't really getting the worst shots. But what I did think was terrible for the Suns was their transition defense during yes. that stretch. That really was what killed them, I thought.
1: Yeah, and as you mentioned, Giannis was off the floor too. So it, it was a a talented group that was out there. Middleton and Lopez had come in at the start of the second. And so it was those two guys, Drew, Pat Connaughton, and fifth guy portis yeah i believe it was bobby portis and and so they were get they got some stops whether as you said some of them were clean looks and some of them were not and were able to get out running and transition execution is paramount against the bucks whether or not they have Giannis on the floor, and this team has gotten so much better, credit to Budenholzer, the coaching staff, and of course the players for running during that. And you're right, that was a a big challenge. If if you want to look at it, and you and I, at, we always ca- we always couch these in in you know saying we would log it differently. But fast break points in that second quarter, ten to three in favor of the Bucks, and it, I, I thought that they did a great job, as you mentioned, getting out and running. That was a part of the game when Drew Holiday was really effective, both as a scorer and as a passer. I thought that you know this is a, a We'll talk plenty about Drew over the course of this, but I thought it was a really nice passing game for him. Some of that was in transition, where he'd really
0: struggled, honestly, earlier in the series. Yeah, they just had Lopez running the floor, Portis running the floor, and I I thought that the Suns' defense not only transition but just in the half court, uh, was really poor, and, and clearly this was a big offensive game for both teams when you look at 132 offensive rating for Phoenix, 137 for Milwaukee. It was only 90 possessions, although things really slowed down late, which you would expect with everyone playing this ridiculous Amount of minutes. So the problem, though that that I really saw was the Suns just made a lot of mistakes, mental errors, communication. I thought Mikhail Bridges had a, a poor yeah. game, uh, a particularly started the third. He missed a, a couple of closeouts uh, on Middleton that didn't look really good. You know, they when they would double Middleton, they were giving up like a a dunk to Lopez. They didn't know whether they were doubling Middleton or not at, at times, and. So it just wasn't as connected of a performance as you'd like to see. And certainly you're going to get unraveled a little bit more by some of the hot shooting. I mean, particularly Drew Holiday with his 14 points in the second quarter was hit a couple of tough threes going to his right, which is harder for a right-handed shooter. And he hasn't really hit threes very well most of the playoffs. So you're not necessarily prepared for that. When Aiton was off the floor, Holiday was also able to get to the rim in that second quarter, both in semi-transition and in the half court. But I thought just individually the Suns were not amazing defensively and then they just weren't as connected as you've come to appreciate them being uh, over the course of this nice playoff run
1: yeah and it was such a fascinating in a lot of different ways departure from game four where we had some of these threads um of like the possession game and so in the possession game in game four was huge advantage bucks they had far fewer turnovers they had a ton of offensive rebounds that's why they got up significantly more shots and even though they were less efficient on those shots they were able to to win the game Game 5, each team got up 87 field goal attempts and the Bucks made more of them than the suns narrowly and the suns had fewer free throw attempts, but made more of them because they have better free throw shooters and 11 of Milwaukee's 17 were Giannis and Giannis was four of 11. So the possession game overall was closer to watch the bucks did still have an advantage, but it was a a much more modest one because the suns switched the turnover advantage there. Um, And I I thought that so, so then it became down to, you know, it was, it was some of the other things like both teams shot really well from three. Oh, I looked up the stat by the way. So we have it. Um, The Suns tied the, as far as I can tell using basketball reference, they tied the finals record for best three-point shooting with 19 or more attempts tied with a game that predates Dunk on but not by very much game five of the mavericks heat series in 2011 when miami was in identical 13 of 19 in that win that they had which then
0: kind of set the table for closing out the series in game six wait no you're thinking of 2006 aren't you if no, miami just, won
1: oh sorry you're right no wait what
0: so so the heat uh, shot 13 to 19 and lost no, game no,
1: the Mavs shot. Wait.
0: Oh man, I was about to compliment your your skills for getting it so quickly. No,
1: I did. So the Mavericks shot. No, in 2011, the Mavericks won. Yes. Yes. So they, they. But you shot, said the
0: heat. The oh, heat sorry, shot that's
1: the part and, I got wrong. But the, the Maverick okay, shot. Yeah. The Maverick shot thirteen nineteen and won that game on their way to closing out the series in six.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, it's pretty remarkable for the Suns to lose with that type of, of a yeah. performance. I mean, you, you mentioned though just some of the fundamentals in this game with the possession game. That, uh, you know, I did think Milwaukee still was out hustling the Suns and they had some very key offensive rebounds. To talk about some of, some of those plays that really stood out to us late, but you know, Phoenix hadn't been getting anything at the rim they were shooting everything from mid-range and that was somewhat the case again they took 41 of their shot attempts from two point range outside of the restricted area but the bucks were pretty much the exact same and the the suns actually got way more shots at the rim than the bucks did 27 which is a very nice number against this bucks defense and of course they Shot that really great percentage from three, but they only got two corner threes up, whereas the Bucks got nine. So I'd say the shot charts are relatively awash. Um, you know, the Bucks were just wonderful for mid-range themselves with 13 out of 24 twos outside the paint. But it, it's, it kind of, you know, I expected when I saw how few three-point attempts that the Suns got that, you know, their offense wasn't really working that well. But then, you know, to see the final score and then also see it was only 90 possessions like, no, they actually, the, the offense was going pretty well for them. And, and Devin Booker had this unbelievable game. What did you think of the idea that, you know, Booker, we've seen his potential assists fall pretty much game by game I think he's only had you know five four in that range the last three games or so and potential assist obviously is a pass that leads to a shot attempt whether it goes in I think he was in double digits uh, in the first game
1: yeah I but what,
0: what did you think of that was there were there guys open that he was missing or was he just taking what the defense was giving him
1: I thought for the most part Booker was taking what the defense was giving him and I thought that was a nice tactical adjustment by Budenholzer and also not an adjustment to not overreact so Booker yeah he had had this dominant at times and I would say really strong overall individual scoring game 40 points 17 of 33 from the field four or five from the line most of that from two-point range but what the Bucks stopped conceding and you know going back to that Nuggets series I remember that game one where Booker was going crazy and then they started trying to take take that away and then it was Mikhail. that was the Mikhail Bridges show out game memory serves was that the Bucks just weren't really giving up those other passing angles, those other shots. And so Mikhail Bridges only took six shots in the field, including an exceedingly rare unassisted three-pointer for him. That was something that uh, Kevin Pelton had an amazing stat on that Mikhail Bridges has only yeah. taken... It, it, he's only taken seven unassisted threes in his... Oh, sorry, seven made unassisted threes in his career out of 309. And so he made one in this game where they uh, it's a screen with Aiden that he just took the shot. And so, he wasn't getting a ton of looks, Crowder wasn't getting a ton of looks, he made, you know, most of Crowder's damage was done in the very early going of this game. And so those other players were less involved. Aiden, you know, he got his opportunities, but also some of that was through offensive rebounds and mismatches and everything else. And so it's hard to say, like, the strategy worked when Phoenix pulled a, like, a 129 offensive rating. But I thought that the conception of it, the theory of the process was sound. And you need, I mean, as things turned out with the efficiency that both of the, these teams had from long distance, like, you needed a ridiculously efficient night to beat the Suns, but they did have that.
0: Yeah, I mean Booker had 40 points, 17 of 33 from the field, 4 of 5 from the foul line. That's the one thing that the Bucks did a, a decent job of was keeping Phoenix off the foul line, but the Phoenix actually made more free throws than the Bucks did. They were 9 of 17. Giannis was brick city uh, at 4 for 11, and Booker also was 8 of 8 in the restricted area. So I like I'm not if I mean I watched it, I you know because I had seen that criticism beforehand, and so I wanted to see whether that was the case. And I think, you know, against switches, they're trying to play him one-on-one and he's getting to pretty good shots that are supposed to be his shots. Now he didn't shoot amazingly well on twos away from the rim, but he also was had times where he blew by his guy. And you can tell how little the Bucks were helping when Devin Booker is eight of eight at the rim. I mean, that is a very high number for a guard because it's not like he's like, you know, getting offensive rebounds or he's the role man or something. Like he's got to drive by guys to get in there for those. Some of the, I think he had a couple on the fast break, but I don't remember a bunch of them. Uh, So that was, uh, I I think he was really, trying to get to the basket and draw help and it just wasn't coming and so then you got to shoot it Uh, yeah i
1: I will not put that on devin booker and for for me watching this game in game four i thought that both booker and his teammates kind of deactivated a little bit and i wish the suns did more they saw this and we'll talk about in the last five minutes i wish they did more just off ball stuff not involving especially with the way the bucks defend just to occupy players and get everything there but booker i don't think he was missing guys in in game five and so Putting that on his shoulders when he he did pretty I think he did very well overall is mostly unfair and the Suns yet again it do, it does kind of seem like their offense stagnates when it gets really Booker heavy but if it's Booker heavy and he scores at a reasonable rate then you can't criticize it too much something I thought was interesting from from Seth Partnow which I agree with conceptually though I mean we would already talked about how efficient the Suns offense was in this game part of the challenge of a Booker centric lineup let's say let's say it's let's say it's tactical you're saying you know kind of that old idea of let the star player get his, take everyone else away. One of the challenges of doing for the Suns of Booker-centric is that he's not getting to the line a ton and he's not taking a ton of threes. So in order, like, the the kind of, quote-unquote, worst potential outcomes for the Bucs, I mean, if he's getting to the rim, you know, 8 out of 8 in the restricted area, the math changes a little bit. But if it's mostly two-point shots that aren't, you know, easy finishes at the rim, you're going to have to shoot a ridiculous percentage on those for it to be overall inefficient, to be as efficient as as it would be in all the stuff you're taking away you know those corner threes as you mentioned earlier and everything else so that's part of why i think the overall approach is is a good one i think that it can it can work and booker you know if you don't if he's not taking the passes because the passes aren't there and he's taking those shots some nights he'll shoot a better percentage some nights he won't and it they survived it in this one so i mean i'm on board it's weird but i am
0: yeah obviously you would have to focus on the defense in this game for the suns is, as we have to some degree I think a few other things that really stood out to me from the meat of this game is that Giannis Antetokounmpo is having, I would say, his best passing yes season and probably his best passing series that I've seen and it, one play that really stood out to me was almost Harden-esque where he's not doing it from quite the same area on the floor but a lot of times you know when Harden would go into his iso package he would catch a guy leaning the wrong way one pass away just trying to get a, cheat towards the lane just a little bit and then just gonna pass right to that shooter and he could get the shot off and Giannis actually had one of those to Pat Connaughton in the left corner and Connaughton was really good too. his release from the corners was light quick in this game he continues to really give them something from a shooting perspective but I, I really thought that Giannis you know we're not seeing and um, you know could the Suns be doing a better job of opportunistic helping on him maybe but we're not seeing and part of this because the Bucks are using him a little bit better too you know we're not seeing Giannis trying to attack from up top where it's a lot easier to deal with him I think the the they've done a good job of setting him up to attack from the side where maybe his reads are a little bit easier. Usually guys like to attack from the top, but Giannis, the way that he drives, it's just so, I don't want to say telegraphed, but it's kind of, he's only got a couple of moves there and he's usually going to have to spin or Eurostep or something that develops a little bit slower and he doesn't really have the option of shooting from up there. So I think it's easier for the defense to kind of load up on him. And you can't, you also, when he's attacking from the top, you can't really have, other guys up top and so then your spacing really gets compacted with everyone else having to kind of be below him on the floor and so I think having him attack from the mid post area on the wing works a little bit better for him he's able to attack baseline they t- took that away but they let him get baseline a couple times he had a beautiful reverse and now the Suns are double teaming and they didn't get that much out of it I didn't think uh but the, I in terms of like you know great passes from Giannis off of those double teams but they're just finding ways for him to be more effective without turning the ball over uh there was another play that Giannis had in the second half where he got the ball and maybe a semi-transition situation on the left wing everyone was loaded up and and so he, he drove to pass which guys just need to do more of generally of he just broke the paint you know around the dotted line didn't even really look to shoot it with like that little push shot or anything he just went across the lane kicked out to Middleton and then Middleton blew by his guy and went in for a layup and so just those types of plays to keep the machine churning either setting guys up directly or just get the initial penetration and then kick out and is particularly with Middleton and holiday having the games that they had it, I thought it looked really good and I still I don't have a great answer for why Giannis looked so much better against the Suns than against say the Nets like Hollinger and I talked about that we didn't really have a great answer for why that was when the Suns have more talent than the Nets and better individuals to defend him but uh and, and then I think the other thing we got to talk about here is just how well holiday and Middleton played yet again
1: yeah I mean holiday had a huge offensive performance. I mean, we're early on, we were making a ton of jokes in the Discord as Holiday continued to miss shots around the rim, but he ended up making a couple, but also was the, you know, jump shots. So in this game, Holiday was seven of 11 on jump shots when that has been a real challenge not just the you know the catch and shoots which have been better overall but he made you know some self-created ones there and this was drew's best passing game sometimes we've said that his some of his assists are a little bit lighter on calories than than other guys but he had some real value adds in, in game five which i thought was extremely important and then of course his defense i thought that part of the reason Milwaukee was able to have this approach of let Devin Booker get his and we'll try to stop everybody else was that not all of the time, but much of the time, Drew Holiday was guarding him. And so can't guarantee that he's going to, you know, rip the ball out of Devin Booker's hands every time or get a deflection or or make the shot impossible. But you're giving yourself a fighting chance there. Whereas if that was... Jeff Teague or if that was Connaughton or even to a lesser extent somebody like Middleton then it, it's it's a lower chance of success so Drew I thought on both ends of the floor that like this was I, I sometimes think about this like it, and I'm not saying the Bucks will but like when it when it's like you think about a player's like game as being like the one they'll talk about on the championship video like those old VHS tapes you and I probably used to watch for every sport and this will be like Drew Holiday game five will probably be Drew Holiday's contribution to that VHS if the Bucks win
0: the thing that struck out to me too particularly particularly in the fourth quarter is just the conditioning for Middleton and holiday. I mean, yeah. 44 minutes again for Middleton. I mean like Middleton, he's playing like a minimum of 43 minutes, like every single game in the playoffs now and holiday, even with the foul trouble, 42 minutes and the 27 points and, and 13 assists. And Giannis going 41 minutes particularly with the, the physical style that he plays and, and, and on the other side by the way and going 45 minutes is also totally ridiculous um well and, and
1: and here's another part of that with the stamina of Chris Middleton yeah in the final five minutes of the game the Bucks took eight shots from the field Chris Middleton took four of those eight like he not only is yeah. he out there for all of it he is shouldering a lot of the burden in the late going so you have to have a lot of juice left in order to do that
0: well, in one of the plays that stuck out to me in the fourth quarter, Suns get a drive. They kick out to Mikhail Bridges in the left corner. Chris Middleton runs him off the line, stays with him. Bridges pulls up for his 12-footer near the left block, which he actually has been making pretty well in these playoffs, misses it. Lopez is one-on-one underneath with Aiton for the rebound, but Aiton has inside position on him. And Chris Middleton, just after contesting the shot of Mikhail Bridges, continues into the lane and gets the defensive rebound, yeah. taking it away from Aiton. It's just the, the type of play that the Bucks are just able to make a little bit more often than the Suns have, particularly in these last three games.
1: By the way, that was Mikhail Bridges' only missed shot of the game.
0: <laughs> um. So uh, a couple other just like small things we can talk about here before we get into the end, uh, little notes that I had uh, on the strategy. The Bucks uh, have done a couple of things that I've really liked and, and I've i been, I we, we got asked about this, uh, I think both you and I and uh, Hollinger and I last week uh, on our Spotify green rooms about Bud's performance. And I, I think I'm finding it pretty hard other than maybe playing Teague a little bit, but you, probably got to play Tiger Forbes at least a few minutes at some time or another Uh, but I, I think he's coached a really good series I mean the adjustments have been made they're going to switching the bucks have been pretty seamless even when Brooke Lopez is in there now like there's a play where the Suns ran some double screening action up top tried to run a little flare screen for Jay Crowder and Brooke Lopez stepped out on the floor to switch out onto Jay Crowder which you could tell isn't that wasn't like their normal scheme they don't usually switch off the ball they usually have Lopez dropping back but Lopez is like well well, Giannis just got screened. Like, I got to get out of here. We're going to give up a wide open three. You know, those, those sorts of plays have been really nice. Their communication, they've gotten better and better at the switching as time has gone on. That's been their default group for a while now. He's playing the guys more minutes. You wonder... What might have happened for these Bucks in post seasons past had they simply played all their guys more minutes than they uh, did back then? Um, you know they had deeper teams at those points, but still Middleton and Giannis were better than the guys who were coming in and replacing them. They are playing; they had games where those guys were playing thirty six minutes and they were losing. Uh, but they've cleaned that up finally, and uh, they had a nice little play that I liked. I don't know how much by design this was, but they had a Middleton and Lopez pick and roll with Giannis starting off on the opposite block, and so then they had Giannis lift up as... Lopez rolled to the basket so Aiton felt like he had to help into the lane particularly because they wanted to put two guys on the ball sometimes with Middleton so Giannis was able to pop out to the top of the circle catch the ball with no one directly in front of him and then accelerate to the rim and get a layup on Aiton I thought that was really nice to just kind of get Giannis a runway to attack quickly so that was a nice play and they've also been going after Chris Paul on defense a lot I don't know if you noticed that but and Paul has a great reputation as a defender and he's a wonderful team defender but you know, he's 36 years old and he's got a six foot wingspan. And yeah,
1: his his one-on-one game has lost a lot. He's more of a, yeah. like, it happens a lot to older guys. Like he's more of a strength player now than he they can't move yeah. his feet quite as well. And so going after him one-on-one, you know, it's sort of in a weird way. It's, I'm not saying they're the same player, but it's sort of like Robert Covington. Like you think this guy has a good reputation, like has a reputation as a good defender. The best thing to do sometimes is just go after them individually. And then, cause then you yeah. take away all the other stuff that they do well.
0: Well and, and Paul he still has the great hands but if if you don't let him strip you you can either shoot over him or you can spin off he, he's got two moves on defense he'll either go for the strip or he'll try and pull the chair those are the so as long as you don't let him get you on either of those like you should be able to get a pretty decent shot uh and you know Drew went right at him for a layup in the fourth Middleton uh, it was able to Make him hate and also you tire him out as well I think another thing that really stuck out was Monty Williams clearly came to the conclusion after the two Milwaukee games that he had to limit Chris Paul's minutes Paul ran out of gas by at the end highlighted of course by that turnover in game four where he just fell down uh for no real reason honestly we tried to watch the film and see if he got tripped he just slipped it was tired who knows what it was had a mishandle and then in this game they played him 35 minutes and he was much better he's he hit his threes he was uh, 21 points 11 assists but uh, and I think the time the little bit amount of time when he was in there when Booker wasn't I thought they did a better job of creating shots even if they missed a bunch of them and I realized Booker was way in the plus even though he played 42 minutes and they lost so but I think wearing him down and so either he's going to play fewer minutes or he's going to be ineffective in longer I think on both ends they have really just used their superior conditioning not that Chris Paul isn't a great conditioned athlete but he's smaller than Drew Holiday. And he's older, and Rade should have the advantage against him in that respect.
1: when I also think that the Suns are really missing Dario Saric in some of those minutes too, because that helped give them. Saric is a good passer, space yeah. the floor a little bit differently. They don't
0: and, have a role man option. Yeah, exactly. Now, other than, I mean, I actually think that as this series has gone along, that playing Saric at the four might have actually been, with Ayton might have actually been something they could have considered. To defensively, that would have hurt them potentially, but I think that could have gotten them more of a additional playmaker to like make plays on short rolls to set screens when with that they couldn't just switch as easily when Lopez was on the floor
1: um one play I want to bring up early part there will be echoes in a later play but I was incensed on uh, I was was, actually I was normally watching with audio but there was a play I think was in the second quarter where the Suns get a steal and they uh, I think PJ Tucker fouls I wish I remembered which center it was. But basically this the play where Devin Booker then dunks it and Giannis fouls Oh it yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. That, that was that was I watched that obviously uh today and I still was enraged by that.
1: Like first and foremost, that whatever rule you want to use to determine what an intentional foul to stop a fast break is, that has to be included. That was the entirety of what PJ Tucker did. And then Giannis committed a flagrant foul, whether the other foul was called or not. And I thought it was a severe, I mean, everybody knows by this point, my sensitivity of hitting guys who are in the air. But I don't care if the other foul was called. Giannis put... Devin Booker in danger, and that should have been called a flagrant. So yeah. instead, or, the or suns- at least a,
0: a lot of times when it's a dead ball and something like that happens, you might see it be a technical, like a technical
1: or something. Or some, too, some, but, yeah. And, and so yeah, instead, I, I, the I'm suns- not
0: sure exactly how that's supposed to sure. work, but.
1: But so the Suns come out of it with zero free throws and zero points. I can't remember if they scored in the ensuing possession, but it's like that's totally insane. Like you not only did you foul to stop a fast break, but the player then got like fouled with risk of injury because nobody here nobody heard the heard the call. Like it's completely egregious. And if if the league cares about player safety, which they do, then policing that more effectively is like yes, I know Giannis was ma- in this in that case, unlike some others which we'll discuss. Like he was making a basketball Play and so I don't think it's like he should be tossed or anything silly like that. But like the guy is in the air and he could have been badly hurt and it's it's a mistake. It's something that needs to be fixed. And I'm happy some of the other things that you and I strongly dislike, including a BS play that Cameron Payne did in this game where he ran backwards into Giannis and got and drew a, drew a defensive foul on Giannis. That those sorts of things are going to be corrected. But this is another huge one that like that needs to be addressed.
0: All right, let's uh, let's get into the end of the game here. We could pick it up with Chris Middleton getting a three point play on a very difficult step back off a switch on Jay Crowder. Three twenty five left puts the Bucks up by ten with three twenty five left, and that uh, you thought basically th- that it was going to be done at that point. Well,
1: Nate, as I as I put it on the Discord, I said I, I put it like a minute later. I'm like, all the Bucks needed to do was not poop the bed. We should have figured out what was going to happen um, because the first thing is. So you, so what you're trying to do up 10 is it's not a prevent offense, but you know, being, being meticulous, not shooting yourself in the foot. And then making the other team work for their shots. You're not going to prevent them from getting scoring opportunities, but make them work for it. And then on that first possession, what happens? Really nice sun's action. It wasn't, I wouldn't describe it as necessarily a double screen or a double drag. It was just a deeply staggered two screens. Cause Jay Crowder was wow. like out there on the floor.
0: Well well, and DeAndre Ayton did a smart thing there. He actually screened Giannis, mm-hmm. knowing that Giannis would be switching on to Chris Paul and then Lopez was still just not he still is kind of you know more known for staying in a drop coverage in the paint, and that's what they were doing but knowing that Giannis would struggle to get through that second screen work great, and Chris Paul just as a batting practice three-pointer wide open and then uh uh, the Tucker throws it away and
1: Tucker Tucker with 12 seconds left he gets the ball in the corner he decides to throw a missile to Brick Lopez who was double covered and it's just and then the the, that allowed the Suns to get a
0: transition with which the Suns still need to do a better job of not guarding pj tucker like they need to make pj tucker shoot eight shots well
1: and and that's in line with something i'm not as aggressive on this stance I'm not even sure I'm fully aware, even close to where John Hollinger is on this, but I thought that PJ Tucker getting in foul trouble it gave the Bucks a bolt a jolt offensively because Pat Connaughton is going to take those shots. He's not always going to make four out of six like he did in this game, and PJ Tucker is a better defender. He there he has fewer foibles than Pat Connaughton does, but having a fifth player or a fourth player, depending on which configuration you are, that can take and make those shots, it makes the Bucks' offense look and feel so much better.
0: Yeah, I think the issue there is that they want someone that they see as an elite defender guarding either Paul. I agree. Or guarding both of Paul and Booker. That's and, why
1: I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I understand Hollinger to be.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but I, I do, I understand it to some degree. But you know, Conditson is a good player. I mean, I still think their best lineup is with Giannis at center. And so, after Ayton gets two free throws to cut it to five in the course of two possessions. And now you're like, oh, they're back in this. Um, You know, they bring Connaughton in for Lopez. They go to the switching group. And then Middleton makes another really difficult step back to put him on 120 uh of course wait can they, i take can i take yeah. a quick beat though yeah
1: the bucks won this game and they are now in the driver's seat for the series their offense for the most part during the last five minutes which i re-watched before we record this their offense during the last five minutes was pretty terrible helped by the uh, sun oh play. you didn't
0: you didn't think that it was a good idea to have devin booker on chris middleton <laughs> and set a screen so that mikhail bridges would be on him instead, yeah. and then he hits a, a crazy step back three on him anyway it was that, that wasn't I good mean, process to you
1: both teams ran a bunch of like one or zero pass possessions, and like there were there were plays on each that drove me a little bit insane. But like the Bucks. Their offense for most of the last five minutes was basically Chris Middleton save us. And he did it enough to make them win the game. It was it was insane. Like if things had gone slightly differently, you and I would probably be going through this with a fine tooth comb talking about all the no like the no pass or horrible process Bucks offensive possessions. But they won and we don't need to do that now. Yeah, so
0: we can uh, the Suns got a, a short shot from from Booker on a late clock uh, attack to make it a six point game, but Bucks have the ball. And then they got a rebound or actually uh, Middleton's jumper got blocked by Booker and it got bounced around. Bucks get it back. Middleton misses an impossible jumper. And, then the Suns ran a very nice play and this is something that I think they really need to do more of in the next game is more of Booker off the ball I mean now he starts a lot of these possessions off the ball but generally he'll receive the ball in a handoff and that's something that the Bucks rules say to switch they generally are not switching on Booker stuff off the ball but he hasn't run that much of that stuff this time though they ran a play for him to sprint to all the way from the left side of the floor to the right wing after Paul ran a dummy pick and roll first and they got him a pretty difficult three great decision though to run a play for a three even though it was difficult you know down six with 130 left and so he hits a, a tough fading three from the right wing uh to get him within three and then uh they throw a nice pass underneath to Giannis. he of course misses both free throws good foul by chris paul chris paul Was matched up very often against Giannis under the rim, as (laughs) that would be the case again. Later in the game, he also gave up an alley oop to Giannis right at the end. I think it was of the first half, um, where he just, he's guarding Tucker and he just is not tall enough to actually do anything when they, I mean, if Chris Paul can't actually physically get his body between Giannis and the rim. On these plays, like Giannis is just going to go right over him and all Chris Paul can do is follow him and sometimes he's not even able to do that effectively.
1: So then the the Suns get the rebound. Uh, Another... Almost bucks offensive rebound off a Giannis miss free throw, but the Suns did grab it. Jay Crowder gets it. Ball goes to Chris Paul, who has Pat Connaughton is on the on the right on the right corner basically. And as luck would have it, I guess you could say all of the Bucks interior defenders were out on the perimeter. There was you know kind of some early action, and and so Lopez is occupied with Aiton, and or not not Lopez, sorry Lopez is not there. Giannis is occupied with Aiton and everything else, and so CP just burns Pat Connaughton so badly that there is no one at the basket
0: yeah. Chris Paul well, was a nice action there because yes. they had just gotten Booker off a screen it looked like they were setting up to try and do that again up at the top of the floor and all the Suns were there so Chris Paul was able to just beat Connaughton baseline and Chris Paul I mean I, I like it when Chris Paul can drive to the basket and finish he doesn't do that very often and he's but I, I like that he did that in the Clippers series and you know, I think it selectively can be a effective there so yeah one point game And Bucks have to call a timeout after a miserable possession uh Middleton kind of got trapped they got six on the shot clock Holiday misses an extremely difficult drive and then for the second time in this series although this time I didn't quit I don't quibble with the decision the Suns do not call timeout uh with a chance to tie in the last minute and now I think they only had one timeout left at this point too was the other thing because I think they called one what did they call an in-between yeah they called yeah one they called they the called Giannis the, the, the Walton
1: throws. the Walton Kerr Jackson
0: yeah timeout yeah, in between, between the Giannis free throws, throws which quote-unquote, worked, although Giannis doesn't need that much help missing free throws. But, uh, yeah, so they don't call timeout, but this was 29 seconds left, so the two-for-one wouldn't have been realistic. That was the problem that we had with them not doing it in Game 4. And so booker drove in he he got to his spot holiday was not on him they kind of switched holiday around mostly he was on paul though and drew came off of chris paul devin booker turned his back it was the sort of play that Giannis would actually turn it over on a lot and drew holiday went in and took the ball from him and uh Then just insanity ensued.
1: Well, so when I rewatched it, I mean, at, at the moment, you're appreciating the wildness of the play. I didn't realize, so Drew Holiday steals the ball with 17 seconds left. And it basically creates this insane fast break. No Phoenix Sun runs to Drew Holiday Despite it being a must foul situation, including Chris Paul, who was originally being guarded by Drew Holiday, he basically runs between, he runs to the basket. If anybody runs to Drew and you foul Drew Holiday, then you know he's more likely to make the free throws. You're probably going to get another ch- a chance to tie the game. Maybe he makes one. Maybe he makes two. And because it was a one point deficit at that point, and nobody goes to Drew Holiday, Giannis runs full speed down the four. And makes the signal for the lob, and Drew Holiday fucking
0: throws it. Yeah, and Paul was back. He tried his damnedest to foul Giannis before he could get his hands on it. Quick aside, by the way, I mean, they're in the bonus anyway, but it's kind of interesting that on an alley oop, where let's say Chris Paul fouls him before he's able to get his hands on it and he misses it that's considered a non shooting foul but if Chris Paul fouls him before he's able to get his hands on it and and I, I couldn't tell whether he got to him before the, the pass got there or not I don't know if you have an opinion on that but um but if he if Giannis actually makes it then it's an and one right it's only a shooting foul if he actually catches it and, and puts it in but that that's an aside
1: is a shooting foul all the time, or it should be, but it's, I agree, yeah. your, your point is salient.
0: Yeah, so, but Paul, I mean, I think he was just trying to shove him so that he would just have to shoot free throws. I mean, which, and Giannis made an unbelievable play. I mean, I think just seeing it at full speed shows you, like, how much the shove actually affected him and, like, made his body go towards the baseline, and he still was able to get his hands up above the rim and and dunk it and protect himself. And shoving a
1: guy in the air. (sighs) Yeah,
0: yeah. well, uh, it's, uh, but then Giannis, of course, misses the free throw, and, I mean, Devin Booker was trying his darndest. It's kind of a difficult situation as that guy out on the three-point arc now holiday both holiday and Giannis made very risky plays right because if they don't get that rebound i mean i think i think probably holiday's assumption was well they're they're clearly going to call time out here if they get it and so we might as and maybe even bud said that to him was like we might as well crash really hard because if they get the rebound they're calling time out they're not going to push it down and particularly after these last two times that they didn't call time out and also the suns are a very good ato team as well i think they've had some pretty good luck with with some of their atos but in any event, like, it's really difficult if you know the guy's crashing. Like, you can't – like, Drew Holiday is standing – with his toes on the three-point line, so there's no way to to like get an angle on him like you would, you know, if you're standing along the lane. You don't have inside position. You're just standing next to the guy, and basically the best you can do is run alongside him. And and Devin Booker actually got in front of Drew Holiday, but as, was, as they
1: a, both viol- they both broke the three-point line before Giannis released the ball. But that happens. <laughs> I mean, it, it was pretty. I think they were both like a full step, like they both taken a step inside the the, the, the three-point line before Giannis released.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and are you going to tell me that the NBA's enforcement on uh, free throw (laughs) violations of any kind is inconsistent? And
1: and by the way, I'm sure there were Suns fans that were aggrieved that Drew Holiday got some of Devin Booker's arm on the steal that, you know, before, before the lob. You know who gets arm all the time on those and almost never gets called for it? Devin Booker. Devin Booker fouls on those plays constantly and very rarely gets called for it.
0: Yeah, so, and then Holiday kind of got his hands on it, squirts up in the air, and then Giannis, rather than grab the ball, just blindly tips the ball over his head because he desperately didn't want to get Uh, fouled. I think he knew Middleton was there. I mean, you know, uh, like, having been in that situation, I think, like, you know that there's somebody there probably. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. somebody, your... sorry, I
1: should clarify, somebody, not yeah. necessarily. Yeah,
0: yeah. and, but you don't, like, he's not going to know if, like, oh, if Mikael Bridges is running in to go intercept that and go the other way. Now, they are up three at least, which makes that a little bit less risky. But, I mean, he the, he did not want to get fouled. He's like, I don't care, I'm just tipping it out there, hopefully. And then, and then, of course, Middleton only made one out of two, but, you know, with under 10 seconds to go uh, up four, then it, it was over.
1: Well, and it was a crazy, for a, for a hot second, Booker, you know, Booker's taking, taking that shot, and down f- up four, all you, all you have to do is not foul. I thought P.J. Tucker got actually somewhat close to, to fouling Devin Booker, but he did pull his hand back. So I think what, what P.J. Tucker was doing is he wanted to make him feel his presence, but not but pull his hands back for the foul. I think that was too cute. I think you just want to stay the hell away from him because like that would have been... And, and it, I mean Booker took it with five seconds left, so I guess theoretically, if he made that shot, then there is a little risk that you could turn it over or something and lose the game.
0: But yeah, I mean the the Bucks had I think had had time out, a timeout left. They, it, I believe well they did. They yeah. could have advanced it, and and the Suns were out. But uh, let's talk about briefly here about what's going to happen in Game Six because you know I I do think that this game at least didn't have the the Suns didn't lose this in quite the same way as Games uh, three and four where it felt like it was just such an like the only advantage that they had was their shooting um and I think it, uh, the two things that I think are the lowest hanging fruit for the Suns is just fewer mistakes or I guess I would say three things fewer mistakes just playing a little harder I mean now they were at home and they still I thought the Bucs played harder than them the Bucs are probably just more of a physical hustling team uh, than the Suns I would say but you know to just try to get more loose balls I mean that's it's not an adjustment but it's something that you in theory could do better uh and and then obviously this kind of falls in the same category as the again the bucks transition game and so uh, you know i don't really i mean they played 8 and 45 minutes in this game uh and i'm not sure what else they can do in terms of playing certain guys uh or not, you know, the Tory Craig at center minutes, they got beat up pretty bad there. And, it, you know, that was interesting that it was the no Aiton versus Jumbo Portis and Lopez minutes. And the Bucks won that, again, doing it largely on the fast break. But, I, I mean, I do think that the Suns just, you don't have to totally give up on the offensive glass. But I think you just like, let's, uh, let's kind of wait and see if it bounces to us around the free throw line. And Aiton in particular, I mean, I think he he just has to get back more. And maybe you uh, could also save him a little bit. Like there's a couple of times when he got on the offensive glass. But even then, I think you know, he was only four or seven around the room. He missed a couple of ones that the Bucks are, are contesting. I just think that you, you can kind of save his energy a little bit. Because even if you go for the offensive rebound and you don't get it and you do get back, it's way more effort than to just kind of saunter back a little bit so maybe you know you can have bridges come in from the corner to the free throw line or something but just get Aiton back you're, you're not gonna be vulnerable it's like Brooke Lopez running the floor that way if he's switched out you know that Bucks that the Bucks have made hay with the the Anthony Davis that the Lakers did last year but uh, you know I mean we're we're pretty far in here and then more a little bit more a Booker running some stuff off the ball particularly I would say when he doesn't have holiday on him mm-hmm. um and, and try to set some good screens for him off the ball, and and see if he can just get some open catch and shoot jumpers, like make his life a little bit easier uh, as well. So, but that's uh, that's about all I got uh, at this point. Anything else that you had on this game, or or what's coming up here? I mean, Bucks are favored, obviously, right?
1: Oh yeah, I mean they should be favored, you know, since. Giannis started looking like Giannis. The Bucks are three and one in this series, and that one game was was Game Two, which they had a, they had a real chance in. So, and, and they'll be playing at home. They've generally played pretty well there. But at the same point, yeah, the Bucks are he- they're heavy favorites to win the series overall. I think that I you know they're favorites to win Game Five. But this, the Suns can absolutely like, this is far from over. They they played well enough to win almost every game in this series. So I don't, and it's the series is still going to continue to flummox me. I mean, the, considering I mean how well the Suns played in the first quarter. And lots of this stuff so we'll see on tuesday where it goes from here but um i'm I, I mean you have to be as if you're supporting the bucks or you know whatever if you want them to win the series you should be very excited about their position
0: no I, absolutely and you know i think i don't think that the suns have it in them to blow the bucks out at this point i think they're just swimming uphill too much not they absolutely can win games i mean the last two games have been pretty close and they have great players and they have great shooters but this also you know 13 of 19 from 3 like 19 3 point attempts is just that's i am not saying that like they're blowing it and there's stuff they should be doing differently but i mean the bucks are really dialed in on what they're doing they're not getting hardly any catch and shoot 3 point attempts they're making the ones that they're getting but you know you can't expect them to go 68% next game and the bucks you know if they hit shots generally and the suns you know, are only it, if the shooting is even like the Bucks win right like the Suns have to massively outshoot the Bucks and it's just even as we've seen in these games where the Bucks shoot poorly they have these other advantages that they can somewhat rely on even though that calmed down a little bit in game five part of that might have been due to the fact that the Suns were at home and might have had the energy of the crowd behind them but it wouldn't even shock me honestly if the Suns win game six and the Bucks win game seven uh you know it seems like there's a uh, home court hasn't mattered necessarily as much but the Bucks uh, of course have have been ridiculous at home in these playoffs they only lost once and have had a number of blowouts so you certainly would have to favor them and this you know I, w- I would normally say well this is my favorite situation right the favorite going on the road game six down three two but I don't it doesn't feel to me, you know, if I had known that Giannis were totally healthy coming in, which it turned out he kinda was, and obviously the Suns won game one in part because he was still feeling his way through, uh, you know, I probably would have favored the Bucs in the series. At the start at the start of the playoffs, I probably would have favored the Bucs in this series. So this doesn't necessarily feel like the team that everyone thought was better now going on the road and they got to prove their metal. Um, you know, it does feel like the Bucks are kind of the better team right now. And so, I, I mean, if the Suns win this game six, it'll be an epic victory for sure. Uh, all right, that's we'll do it for this segment here. But if you're on the free feed, we got more coming for you. And also, if you are a Dunked On Prime subscriber or would like to be, we have a sale now. The mock-off season is hopefully coming next week, so you can get in on that. It is a massive discount if you sign up for a yearly membership, pay up front. You can save 35% off what total access would cost you on a monthly basis, and actually, a year of total access is... $17 cheaper than a year of the podcast only so you pay up front you save money and you get way more you get access to our salary sheets free agent rankings our chats the discord where Danny was hanging out during the game that he mentioned the links that Ben and I helped put together that basically you're reading everything that we're reading uh, on a, a weekly basis. So you get all sorts of stuff with total access and highly recommend giving it a shot. Uh, never a better time to jump on board than right now. Big day today, getting into one of the top two projected prospects in this draft by the consensus, Jalen Green from the G League Ignite. Then we got to talk Pell's offseason and Cavs offseason. Cavs actually starting to feel intrigue uh, about them, which is probably the most you can say about that team over the last three years or so but let's talk first here about one Jalen Green.
1: Yes, we can start with kind of some of the background information. Jalen Green, the best measurements I could find, uh, six foot five, 180 pounds ringer has him listed at 165 but i think 180 is what he's been listed at recently on uh, green 67.5 wingspan green like so many of the other top prospects wasn't measured at the combine which is frustrating we could have had better measurements but we don't uh jalen green grew up in the california central valley merced and fresno played his senior year at prolific prep which is the basketball factory in napa california he was the first ever g-league night guy making 500 thousand dollars and jalen green played for team usa for the under 16 under 17 where he's the mvp and as they won the gold medal and under 19 green turn he is 19 he turns 20 in february so as basketball reference finds it his rookie year will be his age 19 season barely and then the the stats for him on the ignite played in 15 games 17.9 points four rebounds three assists Steal and a half in 32 minutes a game. 61% true shooting on 23 usage. 13.5 assists. 15 turnover percentage. 15. 13.5 is the assist percentage. Um, 36.5% on about six threes a game and 83% on 2.3 free throw attempts per game.
0: Yeah. So some of the intriguing things that you mentioned there, 61% true shooting in the G League. I mean, we talked about Jonathan Kaminga and obviously nowhere near the prospect that Green is. I think everyone would agree with that, but it, he really struggled and Green was a positive player. You know, he, he actually helped this team score and score efficiently. And, you know, the three-point shooting, remember this is the NBA three-point line, 37% from three, some pretty darn difficult attempts and 83% from the line. I mean, this, I think... You feel pretty decent about him uh, as a shooter. And when you throw in also his physical profile, and you mentioned the six-five. Six seven and a half wingspan, you know, so that's like normal shooting guard size, eight five standing reach. You know, not really quite to the level where you would expect him to be able to play the three much uh, defensively, especially because he's thin and I, you know that, that'll obviously improve. But I think he's always going to have kind of a thinner body style. But this guy is just an absolute nuclear athlete. I mean, one of the better shooting guard prospects you're ever going to see as an athlete. I mean, I think the comp. Uh, athletically, Zach Levine is a pretty good one. Both the, in terms of his dunking ability. I don't know if he's going to be doing like windmills from the free throw line. I've never seen him in a dunk contest before, uh, but great athlete off of one or two feet when he sprints the floor in transition. It is really breathtaking. He's just going to run by just about anybody. If he's off the dribble in transition and someone's trying to run him down, it's just not going to happen. And so that type of leaping ability with that type of shooting ability, which uh, you know, is he, he's not like an unbelievable shooter yet, but I mean, for an 18 year old... In NBA threes, at uh, some pretty difficult attempts, and with this type of a physical profile, you see immediately where the intrigue comes from.
1: You do, and the Kind of the test that I like to use for perimeter players, you kind of it's kind of a two prong thing. This came up with Jalen Suggs in particular, though you could there was a, a modified version for Kaminga and, and Barnes just because they're a little bit bigger, so things worked a little differently. So typically the first prong of that test is: is this player viable as a primary ball handler? And the answer there is to be determined, partially because Jalen Green. I thought this was a really good note that Jonathan Sharks had in his profile of of Green, which I think was in March about that he he hasn't really ever needed to read the floor because green is so damn athletic that he's that he hasn't had to really kind of create in that sort of a way and you don't see these ridiculous like passing jobs he's especially with the role that he had with the g-league ignite where they had jared jack and they had brown to run a lot of the pride you know to do a lot of that stewardship the the ball handling and then they had green on the floor with jared jack primarily in the Kaminga and, and other guys in that lineup and i am more optimistic than I than I kind of thought in the early part of the film that Green could eventually get to some semblance of it he hasn't been asked to do it so there isn't a lot of film but his handle is intriguing it's not all the way there but and he has some these some passes where you're like oh maybe the vision is there it's just not something he's been asked to do there are a couple like wraparounds that were really fascinating like I call them snapshot passes that Trey Young does every once in a while Trey Young not nearly the athlete but you go up in the air like he takes off and you're like well where is this going and then he knows where the guy is and is in the air long enough, which makes Green a little different, and can pass it. So I'm not saying definitively that Jalen Green can be that every down quarterback offensively, that he can run the pick and roll. We just didn't see that much of it for him on G League night, and I wasn't able to see enough high school film. But I'm not going to write off the possibility, which is interesting. You brought up the Levine athletic comparison, that it took Levine a long time to get to where he is right now. And Levine is an incredibly hard worker. Levine has that reputation, and he has been on the high end of his development. I mean like that's that's something to acknowledge so it's not inevitable that Jalen Green could do that but I don't want to foreclose on the possibility
0: yeah that's uh, one of the big questions about him I mean I think pretty clearly you know for the player type that he is and again playing at 18 in a professional league you know I thought his playmaking was pretty good you know there are certainly times when he would get into the lane and would just jump as high as he could and would get surprised by the defense or just didn't really know where he was going to go and either turn it over or force up a, a wild shot um but there are other times when you know if he was getting doubled off the pick and roll he could find the roll man pretty well we didn't really see those passes to shooters on the weak side now it's worth noting that you know at first when i was watching the tape i was like yeah you know like this is all set up for these guys to succeed right like he's got a pro point guard he's got uh, older pro big men who are setting screens for him they're running a lot of plays for him you know doing a lot of kind of wide pin down stuff for him you know a little bit of pick and roll where the numbers weren't as good but as I thought about it a little bit more, I mean, the actual content of the like, yes, they ran plays for him in a way that, you know, if he were playing in the League, they probably wouldn't have. But the situation, we talked about this with Kaminga, but Kaminga had Green next to him as a good shooter, and Green has Kaminga next to him, who's a bad shooter. And so between playing two bigs most of the time, Jarrett Jack, not really a great three-point shooter either, Brown is, Bobby Brown, you know, he didn't really have that much shooting around him. Like, he had in the half court, like, it wasn't a ton of spacing for Jalen Green in terms of the personnel. Like, yes, they had practiced a lot, and they were featuring him and all that, but... Uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that the situation was as conducive as I first kind of thought that it was when I was watching some of the, you know, just the individual clips when you actually watch full games like, oh, yeah, there's not actually that much space for for these guys. So that's something I think he, he could play in a situation where he has more spacing back to your idea, though, of the playmaking, I think very, very much so. You know, he can get to the level of a Bradley Beal or a Devin Booker or a Zach Levine as a playmaker. He's probably ahead of all three of those guys uh at this age Now part of that too is just that there's more spread pick and roll as guys are developing now. You know, he wasn't Devin Booker at Kentucky, like just coming off some screens off the ball with uh, Willie Colley Stein and Carl Anthony Towns as the focus. You I know, mean, he's gotten just more reps in that area. Zach Levine was on a pretty good UCLA team. He was he was really more of an afterthought of um, um, you know, Beal was a 2012 draft. He was younger. So he's got more reps in spread, pick, and roll, uh, just even at the lower levels and this level. And um, So he's not finding, like, shooters on the weak side. There weren't that many shooters to find on the weak side, necessarily. He found the role man pretty well. And, you know, I wouldn't say that his pick and roll craft or operation is great and the numbers out of pick and roll were pretty grisly for him that was 35 points on 65 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler which was 24 of his offense so he's 14 out of 49 out of pick and roll that's that's pretty ugly 0. 0.54 points per possession every, every other play type he actually was above average um other than coming off his of screens so and obviously in transition he is fantastic like absolutely ridiculous in transition so uh, uh but again going up against like real men who are guarding him in pick and roll defense you wouldn't expect that his numbers out of pick and roll were going to be great at this point in his career but he's got enough passing and enough feel I wouldn't I mean how would you just describe his overall feel as a as a basketball player since I've rambled on long enough here
1: I think that it's Okay. I, you know, the, the, I think that his, he's not necessarily looking for everything else like that, but I think his concept of like when to attack in space and everything like that is actually pretty good. And green is so quick twitch that one of my favorite things that he did in pick and roll was rejecting the screen. Cause he's so damn fast. Oh, yeah. that if he gets, if he gets the guy leaning the wrong way, he's just gone. And that will be true against NBA players too. Now, how, how, what kind of level of NBA players will he be facing? Will he be getting the primary matchups? We'll have to see, but having that in his back pocket. And like you, I like the, some of the drop passes to role guys. Like I thought he, had, he has that at a better level. And I mean, maybe James Harden deserves credit for this, that like these guys that are coming up have that pass when five years ago, they did it as, as developmental players. And I mean, I think of Harden as the best guy doing that over the last five years. And I think that his feel is, is all right. I, and it might be a matter of reps. Like, I don't see the, the like, oh, like the unbelievable anticipation. Like, he knows this guy's going to be there and makes that. I actually thought Kaminga was a meaningfully better outlet hit-ahead passer than Green. But some of that is also circumstance. Kaminga got more defensive rebounds and could get there. So, I like, I I, I thought it was, it was better, honestly, than uh, when I saw his athleticism. I'm like, oh, God, if he has good feel, it's going to be unbelievable. I didn't think he reached quite that level. But positive overall i'm trying to think of oh so it's funny you brought up the opposite side stuff i had in my notes like one of the things watching the pick and roll film i said not making many and then parentheses any question mark passes to the opposite side of the floor and pick and roll like it's just not something that he yeah. did and 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 green doesn't really set his guy up like in, in pick and roll you know it's like kind of getting the screen ready but it wouldn't stun me if that's something Jalen green's never had to do and the modern nba is putting more onus on potential secondary you know like guys that are two guard size to do that like I mean Beal's a good example Levine is of course a good example so but I don't know if Green you know he's if he's was asked to do that as much in high school or AAU or anything else so I I'm open to the possibility that he can get some of those maybe not the like insane levels that some guys I mean I remember Conley's film at Ohio State where it's like oh god he's already doing some of that kind of stuff but Mike Conley was special and he's not nearly as athletic as Jalen Green
0: So the other thing, too, is that you can just learn those pick and roll reads, right? Like, it's not, it's not that hard unless you're just, you really just have nothing, right? Like, and particularly because his physical tools are so good, he may not be the greatest passer in the world, but he's going to draw the defense to him and he's going to create wider openings than a lot of guys are just because he's going to get on top of the defense so quickly. His shooting ability as well is probably going to draw the defense. And so I agree with you, he doesn't have a ton of pick and roll craft. He's not like getting guys in jail and, and doing all that stuff. But I think both his ISO game and you mentioned like rejecting screens. I mean, his first step is Lightning quick, but that's not as fast as his third step is. Like he will get that first step, and even if he doesn't get separation on that, he just takes two more dribbles in one direction. Like if there's space in front of him, if you and especially like if you're not into the ball and directing him a certain way, like he'll just take two dribbles and all of a sudden the guy's just behind him. Like he's not even really making a move, he's just going in one direction, takes two dribbles, and then by the time the third dribble has happened or the third step has happened, the guy's just behind him, right? I mean, if you're just letting him sort Sort of, let's say he's starting on the left wing, takes a couple of dribbles towards the middle of the floor, and all of a sudden the guy's just behind him, right? And so it's it's really, really impressive. You know, one of the better first steps. And when you look at his quickness off the dribble for his size, they're really, you know, I'd be hard-pressed to think of, I would say he's faster in that first step even than maybe Levine is, uh, or at least flashes it more, certainly than Levine did at a same age. But I can't really think of anyone else at the two guard position that's as quick as him you know i mean you really would have to go back, go to uh, and when i say quick i mean it more in a in a straight line attacking off the drill i don't think he's as good laterally defensively which we'll talk about but you know you really would have to get back to point guards to talk about guys who are going to get the separation that he is from a standstill attacking his defender.
1: So I think there are kind of two other threads worth going through in terms of Jalen Green's offense. We can start with the handle, even though I think it's less important than the shot. I think the shot's a good way to end, kind of end the offensive portion. And Jalen Green's handle, it's all right. I, I don't think, he doesn't have a ton of shake at this point, but every once in a while he throws a move that just kind of blows your mind a little bit. He had this one in and out move in transition where he just totally lost his guy for a We're like, oh, okay. Like, I guess Jalen Green can do that sometimes. And also I wrote down, like, there was a, a jump stop that he had in transition where he basically he I don't know if it I think it was more of a jump stop than a euro step. He basically jumped around a guy, and I, I was completely dumbfounded by it.
0: Oh yeah, it was. I think I remember we watched that together. We kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Oh yeah, that's a uh, just a, a jump stop across the lane where he you know jumped across half the lane to just like completely elude the guy." It was it, it was ridiculous. So yeah, I mean that. He basically, you know, in isolation, he doesn't have a ton of moves, but he's going to go right most of the time, uh, particularly with a live dribble. But he also has the jab right and go left. You know, those are kind of the two moves. He probably is going to go right 70% of the time, but he'll go left enough to keep you honest. And obviously, if you think he's going right and you're very concerned about how fast he is, that jab right and go left can be very effective as well his finishing was really interesting you know the numbers 58 percent around the basket in the half court which for a small guard is pretty good again as i mentioned there's a, a fair amount of congestion on the floor with this team and a lot of these finishes are contested and you know obviously because of his leaping ability his finishing could look really good again i would compare him to levine at the same age and it really took probably until two years ago with the bulls That Zach Levine got to be a solid finisher and even still, he doesn't draw many fouls or anything that green doesn't either that we can talk a little bit more about that. But, uh, I mentioned that he'll kind of get up in the air sometimes without a plan, but with his athleticism, he also doesn't necessarily need a plan, but he's a little overly reliant on getting up in the air, double pumping scoop shots hanging in the air, not the type of plays that you can get fouled on very easily. And
1: also plays that the windows are going to get significantly more narrow at the NBA level because the quality of defenders rises. And yeah, the G League is is a high level of play but in terms of the big men in particular that you're going to be facing on these drives there aren't really any Joel Embiid's or Rudy Gobert's not that every team has one of those guys or even like somebody I'm trying to think of the right backup center but who just who just can mess with yeah, you
0: Yeah even like you know Bismack
1: Mac that was actually the guy Yeah, like,
0: yeah so So I think he is, you know, he doesn't really have a great feel for using his body to ward off the defender. He can get like pretty good extension on some of these finishes, uh, which is encouraging. And finishing is one of the things that really uh, improves for a lot of guys, particularly with his athleticism. You know, there may be a few years where he's kind of just has some spectacular dunks and finishes, but also gets a bunch blocked or has some wild finishes off the backboard in his career. But I think the other thing too, like he's kind of got this thin body type and I think it would really behoove him to watch some lou williams film because when you're that quick and you're thin he's so quick that he's like getting by his guy initially but if he's not necessarily doing that he still can get his shoulder pass and then the guy's going to get his arm on him or bump him and if he can accentuate that contact uh he should be able to get a lot of free throws and also just not great at uh, going into contact it and drawing fouls again because he's kind of thin he can sort of go up uh Draw some fouls, but he's going to need to get stronger too so he doesn't get kind of bumped off some of these shots Uh, and... But certainly you can see how he's going to be a very solid finish. When you throw in his transition, he shot 68% around the rim in total. And obviously the transition finishes are are completely ridiculous. Some of the dunks that he has. uh, Great guy as a cutter. Uh, He's got a pretty good feel for cutting. And again, he's so fast. And I think a lot of his game, particularly early on, is going to be some of that wide pin down out of the corner stuff, like the stuff that Bradley Beal and Devin Booker run. And so he is going to be able to just like in a flash if you're topsiding him or something go back door and you're just going to give up an an alley-oop to him or like a bounce pass for an immediate dunk just because he's so quick and he has a good feel for that stuff they ran a lot of plays for him too on uh you know back screens for alley-oops that uh, when on plays where he kind of has optionality to come off the screen towards the top or go back door it's going to be very difficult to defend him Um, Anything else you wanted to say on the? uh, Oh, yes, I should say it doesn't really have a floater game. Not yet. At all. Um, I think that's another thing, particularly because he's got a little bit of a low release on his jump shot. I think that kind of you know not a Trey Young floater where he's close to the ground, but more of like a Derrick Rose vintage Derrick Rose floater where he's popping up off the ground and just getting it over the defender before they can react. Um, you know he only took eight floaters uh, per synergy and was two out of eight on those, but I think kind of getting into the lane to the dive line, coming to a jump stop and just popping off the floor for a quick floater could be a very good. Play for him, something that can be pretty accurate, and that a shot that he is going to be able to get off because of his uh, athleticism. But let's talk about that jump shot now.
1: Yeah, and to me, the most striking part of Jalen Green's jumper is just how quick his release is because he's a quick jumper. Uh, it is a little low. I-, I think there could be some, a little bit of work that could be done there, but it looks it looks natural. The numbers on it are, you know, we talked about the overall three-point percentage, but if you want to do the synergy splits, one point per possession on catch and shoots, that's 50th percentile, and 0.869 on shots off the dribble, that's 56th percentile on, albeit, 61 possessions. And I think his shot looks good, but not unbelievable. However, these are pretty solid building blocks to eventually getting a lot better, and green is 19. So there's there's time for this to, to improve. So I would say, I feel very good about his jump shot not you know it's a, I don't I don't think he's a Steph Curry Damian Lillard in the making but I think that his shot will be plenty good to open up the avenues that Jalen Green needs
0: yeah it kind of both initiates a little bit lower on his body and and it has a lower release now he still is able to jump so high that he can get it off a lot and you mentioned the quickness of the release but you know i would say that his release is much lower than someone like beal or booker and that could be a little bit of an impact as far as his ability to work in isolation out of the mid-range not so much from three uh because there's a little more space out there and i think he can get the separation and get that shot off off the dribble but when you're getting into the mid-range particularly against a long defender where there kind of isn't as much space to use your quickness and you got to kind of use your body and rise up i don't know how good he's going to be at that and then also when you look at the uh the fact that he doesn't have like a ton of strength and and may not have that you could see him kind of playing a little bit more like sort of a rip hamilton type coming off of screens uh potentially in the mid-range and just you know rip would kind of more shoot it very quickly off the catch instead of taking a dribble or getting into the defense and then rising up which you'll see a little bit more uh from booker but he can also turn the corner in those situations and get all the way to the basket faster than Beal uh, or Booker could, and there's a reason, by the way, that I'm c- constantly comparing him to those guys. Because I think you know that's that seems like the most likely sort of outcome that he's you know going to be a you know high scoring shooting guard type, um, but maybe not as much the guy who's playing up top uh, out of pick and roll at least early on. And so the low release is a little bit of a concern. I, I don't th- it's I don't think it's the type of thing where you want to change it or he can change it because of the way that it kind of starts b- by his waist. I don't think he really would be possible for him to raise that point up a little bit i think he's always going to kind of be shooting that way but it goes in i mean that's the number one thing right i mean to shoot 37 percent from three on what are some pretty difficult uh, attempts i mean i think he can even especially with the way he rises up he can come off a of wide pin downs for threes as well which not a lot of guys uh can do
1: well, and, and, then, and while yeah. they're, I'm a little bit concerned, like you are, about the low release, Green can use the threat of his jump shot to get guys to close out a little bit harder and then just drive by. Like, I think they're, getting the counters, getting the cat and mouse right will take some time, but I think he can.
0: Yeah, so he was 21 of 61 off the dribble, and that included a lot of threes. So that's, that's actually above average for uh, the G League, uh, according to Synergy, and... Now I do think that his off the dribble shooting out of pick and roll, you know, might not be quite as good. Again, be out of pick and roll. If you're trying to snake the pick and roll or get to a spot, he's not able to use that crazy quickness quite as much, and so he could be vulnerable maybe to rear view contests for by longer defenders. But he also may just say, Hey, I'm not. I don't need the mid range that much. I'm either going to take a three, or I'm going to get all the way to the rim, or make a play, or get to a floater. Um, so I don't know that he necessarily needs the mid range as much and you know just watching this nba finals with middleton and booker and paul taking mid-range all the time you're like someone like donovan mitchell doesn't need that uh, as much and so I, i think that's about all i've got in terms of his offense. I, oh, the other thing too is that uh, you know, the unguarded versus guarded catch and shoot numbers, the unguarded he was really good. I mean, obviously you run into some sample size issues and also some data collection issues based on oh, I'm going to say this is guarded cuz he missed it. You know, you can kind of run into that, but he was uh, on what were termed unguarded catch and shoots, he was 10 out of 20 and I think all of those were threes. Uh six, 75% adjusted field goal percentage on those. The guarded catch and shoots obviously didn't go uh, as well for him. So, yeah, let's uh let's get into his D-
1: Yeah. And so green, you could say the dream scenario for him would be that he was good enough navigating screens and everything else that you would feel comfortable with him on ball because then theoretically get that multi position versatility. Then if you want to play green as the smallest guy in your floor, because he'll probably be the thinnest guy on the floor, that would be nice i don't think at least early on i don't think that's going to be a place a place that he can be i think he's going to need to be off ball and he's not going to be particularly switchable i mean green six seven six eight wingspan isn't horrendous for a guard but he is thin and i so i think he's going to be more of a single position defender at the next level
0: no i i think you're right there and you know i think he even could struggle to defend some of the stronger two guards Agreed, uh, and you know we'll get to a point i think where even why we got like him you know five eight years into their career get strong enough where they're not just like getting overpowered I thought his effort level for this player type was pretty solid he was and he had some decent feel for making plays in the passing lanes obviously with his quickness he can break on the ball extremely fast and make plays there get interceptions dig down quickly he
1: does gamble more than I would like but it's also
0: the best thing he does
1: defensively so I got I mean it wasn't full like Monte Ellis like every single time he's gambling but it was more than I'd like
0: yeah and I think he could make an impact coming over as a help defender for some blocks every once in a while and he should just be able if he's locked in he should be able to really cover some ground on closeouts and I didn't I mean the encouraging thing was again to bring up Zach Levine as, as the comp you didn't see just the hopeless lapses of just losing his man the way that Levine would again for like an 18 year old playing professional basketball playing the schedule that they had to play of basically you know 15 games in four weeks I didn't think that he was like not locked in mentally. He continued to play well throughout the season. He had uh, 30 points in their playoff loss in the first round and seven assists and there weren't plays where i was just like oh man this effort is terrible this is you know obviously he's a a skinny 18 year old he doesn't really know what he's doing and also i would say he doesn't have like the greatest lateral quickness in the world as far as just staying in front of guys getting skinny uh he also has the problem that a lot of skinny guys do where they just i think he's got tight hips he's not really able to get his butt down and slide very well that's something that might be he might be able to improve some in time so but especially when you consider his offensive responsibilities i think he's gonna be yeah probably when you mean when you throw in maybe some of his potential for making some plays and closing out i think it could be good but he's also going to get overpowered he's gonna have a lot of offensive responsibilities so i i don't think he's gonna kill you but you know i don't think he's gonna be like if you tried to play him in a switching system i think he would get attacked i you know i think dude to probably due to lack of strength more more than anything and you know he's he, just the body type with his athleticism. he's not gonna want to bulk up too much he's probably maybe he'll get to be six six two 200 pounds and again he's gonna maybe has more of that sort of rip hamilton type of body type so that's when you're talking about like really being a player who's you know a top 10 player in the nba it's a little bit harder for guys who are just one position defenders at the two to get to that point i mean he would have to just be an unbelievable you know him alone offense player which i think is possible um uh, anything else you want to say about his defense or should i kind of get into the uh the final thoughts here on him
1: well, we can we can get to the final thoughts that i could use as a transition like i thought the maybe the most impressive sequence that i saw for green was um i think we were watching assists in turn over together which is one of my favorite synergy filters and because it happened to have at the beginning of the play thankfully jalen green um he had a block and then ran out and then had a behind the back pass and transition on the same player It's like oh shit like remember this is against capable of competition this isn't you know like the a low-end college conference like a lot of these players in various games were have been in the nba have you know have have were great college players for their time and those pops are something special there's something that we don't see on every prospect they're not something we see that many times every year that we watch film partially because we just what well, we' we don't watch a ton of it at this point you know really focusing on the top five to six guys depending on the year and I haven't watched Kate Cunningham so I can't say whether I will like Jalen green better than him I you know there there's a lot of things there and green his you know his pathway to elite status is probably pretty narrow you know there, there's there there are ways that green can grow his game and there are ways that he can get more versatile, but do that. However, there is a path. And I think that it is clearer for me to see the way that he is an above average player and then an elite player than
0: Evan Mobley and Jalen Sucks. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would clearly have him uh, above those guys. And yeah, I would like to see a little bit more in some of the effort and athleticism categories. You know, he only had four blocks in 15 games and, and not a great defensive rebounder. Uh, playing more on the perimeter defensively, obviously. But I'd like to see him use his athleticism a little bit more. That might be a way that he could kind of break into truly being, you know, a top 10 player in the league, my thought on his outcome is that he's going to kind of fall right into the range of some of the shooting guards that we're comparing him to i think he's going to be an electric score he's going to have you know some of the best highlights obviously uh from the very beginning you know, as a prospect i would have him well above like anthony edwards due to his superior shooting ability uh, in particular and i think just better overall feel playing harder more experience at the same age as well
1: well i'm going to note briefly because I, I thought the edwards comparison was going to come up just just a couple of stats between the two. Anthony Edwards 29% on 7.7 threes per game and though Edwards 77% from the line, uh 52% true shooting, so we'll just do those three numbers. Um yeah. Jalen Green
0: That's at Georgia by the way. That's
1: at Georgia. Jalen Green, thirty-six point five percent on five point seven threes per game, sixty-one percent true shooting, albeit on lower usage. Edwards had that crazy high role in the UGA offense.
0: Yeah, and I would say uh, the shot selection is better for Green. The defense awareness is better, but you know you could still maybe argue that Edwards has higher upside because of his superior strength and potential ability to guard more positions. Uh, certainly, I'd say that Green is a better passer, plays harder, um, you know, maybe a little bit better of a handle at this point in time, just a you know a little better scoring instincts as well. But uh, you know, and you could see Edwards maybe getting into that same level as a, a shooting guard as the Levines and Bookers and Beals and Donovan Mitchell is a little bit of a different player because he plays more with the ball out top than those guys do. Um, so yeah I mean I would definitely have green above Edwards and like this is a type of player that you would say hey if this guy's the number one pick in the draft I feel fine with that right like he is he is the level of talent commensurate with a typical number one pick like I would have him above where I had LaMelo last year for example I mean I still thought even though LaMelo had a a very nice rookie year I thought LaMelo was kind of below average for your typical number one pick and so yeah I mean if we haven't watched Cade yet I've watched some but uh I'll save my thoughts on him but so if if Jalen Green goes number one I'm not thinking of it as kind of a, a weak draft right like I, I mean Suggs was kind of Kuminga those guys as four and five picks you're I mean maybe they are kind of close to your usual four and five pick when you talk about expected value but it's also just I'm not like unbelievably excited to have those guys Anyway, Someone who gets a, a team, whatever team ends up getting Jalen Green, should be very excited to have this guy. I think you know he's gonna. My guess is gonna be that he's gonna be an All Star uh, level of talent.
1: And also, I think Jalen Green could end up being a very nice fit with a team that isn't trying to be good right away. Might have some growing pains and give <laughs> him give him a little <laughs> bit of a chance. Help your help your draft pick for the twenty two draft and get another good player around Jalen Green. And that. Description There are a couple teams that potentially fit that description towards the top of this draft.
0: Yeah. Well, that said, I mean, you know, I'm very interested to see what his efficiency looks like that first year because he was actually efficient yeah in the g league now some of that could be based on on the three point i mean that's that's the big swing skill right if he's going to be hitting 40 percent on some of these threes then you're like oh man this is this is ridiculous or you know if he gets a little bit better as a finisher or or a playmaker you know you could you could see i mean i think he's going to be kind of more of a score first guy a guy who you know could put up 25 to 30 points a game potentially but you know more along the lines of a who is not someone that you think of as one of the top 5 best offensive players because he doesn't necessarily bring that same playmaking he doesn't bring quite that same level of warping of the defense but i think there's enough there you know because beal does not shoot 40 percent from three right uh, green is a better statistical shooter than bradley beal was at this point in time and he's got more athleticism uh, than bradley Beale as well and so uh, there I- there is a way that he could get into being one of these top five best offensive players in the league i just don't see that as the most likely outcome and i think he's going to kind of settle in more as a average-ish three-point shooter but on some pretty difficult attempts rather than you know and maybe he'll have years where he bombs in 40 percent. i mean i think his three point volume is going to be higher than guys like booker or um or beal maybe not i don't know if he's going to be quite the three-point shooter off the dribble as levine just because levine again has like kind of that higher release um than green does so i'm i'm just very excited to see him and see how some of this skill set works out because it's been a long time since we've seen a shooting guard prospect play as well he has you know um and show the skill set that he has with the shooting and the athleticism at this young of an age
1: the legends are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes